Well, good morning. How many of you remember a few months ago, there was this little weather event that came through called Sandy? That was a, an interesting time for my family. Uh, we were actually without power for about a week, but the, the night that it happened was, uh, was quite interesting uh, because we actually made it through most of the day when there was you know, all the, a lot of wind going on and we didn't lose power until right around bedtime, which was extremely interesting because uh, we were trying to get the kids ready for bed, getting them in pajamas, and I'm not going to name who, but two of my kids, when the power went out, got really, really scared. So scared that they were crying, screaming hysterically for about 15, 20 minutes. I mean, it was just it, trying to console them, you know, even getting the flashlights out, getting candles lit, you know, trying to, to brighten up the, the place, trying to get a movie on the, the computer, you know, on the, on the laptop, just to be able to calm them down a little bit. And nothing was working. I mean, they, they were just inconsolable because they were so scared. They were, you know, they were going through their normal routine. This is what we do. It's time for bed. Time to get pajamas on. And then all of a sudden, their normal world completely changed. Even though everything was exactly where it had been, it looked different to them because it was dark. As adults, we not, may not be scared of the of the darkness like my kids were, but we still get scared of dark times. Dark times are the things that happen in our lives where we don't have control. For one reason or another, we, we just can't do much of anything, whether it's losing a job, whether it's a major disease, whether it's the death of a loved one, whenever those sorts of life-changing events happen, we get scared. We're not sure what's gonna happen, and even though we want to do something, in many cases, we may feel helpless. We're gonna be looking at overcoming darkness this morning. And in the passage that we're going to look at in the book of Luke, we're going to see how Jesus was facing a time where he gave up control. But he gave up control because he knew it was part of his Father's plan for us. So if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, uh, Luke chapter 22, excuse me, uh, we're going to be, start in verse 49 through verse 52. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. 
but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this short episode that we're going to look at and unpack this morning. I thank you for the lessons for us that are, that are contained here. Father, I pray that as we, we begin to study this, as we leave this place and meditate on these words and explore the, the things that happened, that you would be teaching us, that you would use the, the examples here to make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. As I look at a passage like this and read it and, and think about it, meditate on it, I, you know, because of the action that is going on here, I, I kind of put myself in the role of a movie director. You know, how would I block this out? And one of the great things about this particular passage as I was putting it together is that it's pretty short. All of the action probably only took five or 10 minutes. There's not a lot of time that passes here. With a lot of the passages that we've looked at through this series, there, there's been other pieces of action that we don't really see all of the, the, the ins and outs, all of the details. But with this, we have a, a lot of really good detail. So if I was the one directing this and, and trying to put it on the big screen, we start with Jesus in the garden. And he's finishing up his prayer with the, the three disciples. And uh, just at the end, um, you know, he knows that there are people coming. Um, because we see in verse 47, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up. So he's talking to the disciples. He sees the crowd coming. So he gets all the disciples together, and they're waiting for the, this crowd to approach them. Then all of a sudden, the disciples, the 11 that are there with him, put two and two together because they see Judas leading the crowd. All of a sudden, it dawns on them, well, wait a minute, Jesus said one of us is going to betray him. It must be Judas. So they start getting really upset because this is one of them who is, you know, has turned. And... So that, you know, all of a sudden, they get into fighting mode. You know, Judas, how dare you? How can you do this? So there's all this milling around. The disciples are starting to, you know, to get antsy. And so as they come up, they, they ask Jesus, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them grabs a sword and just starts flailing away. And in the book of John, the disciple that does this is, uh, is, is uh, shown, and it's Peter. Not a surprise. Peter is the brash one. Peter is the, you know, uh, the impetuous one. He grabs the sword, and he just starts flailing around. Now, Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't a soldier. Didn't really know how to use a sword very well. So that's why the, the servant's ear was cut off instead of his head. Because that's probably what Peter was aiming for. But he didn't do a very good job. So we have just this short little 
you know, skirmish going on. And then Jesus steps up in the middle and says, wait a minute, that's it. Knock it off. No more. He heals the servant. Then he turns to the, the priests, the officers, the elders who were there, and says, why did you come with, with all these people, with all these weapons? You know, I'm here. Take me. Let's do this peacefully. Jesus knew the situation. He knew that this was the time that God had appointed. But Jesus had a choice here. Even though he knew this was God's time for this to happen, his choice was to submit to the authorities and let it happen as God wanted it to happen, which meant he would have to go through the pain and the suffering of the cross. Or he could have turned around and run. He could have disobeyed. His choice was to follow God's will. The darkness for Jesus in all of this was more than just facing a difficult time. It was even more than facing death. It was facing separation from his father. In verse 53, he tells the, the crowd that is coming towards him, Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Jesus knew the, the whole situation here. When Jesus was in the temple courts teaching, all of these people were there. They very easily could have grabbed him taken him away, and it would have been much more peaceful. But when he was in the temple courts, the crowds were there listening. The people were there listening to Jesus. They wanted to follow him. If they would have grabbed Jesus at that point, then they would have been the bad guy. And they didn't want to put themselves in that position. So they waited until it was the dead of night. They waited until it was dark. When Jesus said, but this is your hour when darkness reigns, he was accusing them. Number one, of being cowards, being afraid of the crowds and, and what, what the crowds would think, but also accusing them of being associated with the evil one because darkness was associated with evil. And as we go back earlier in Luke 22, we see that Satan himself was there. Because in Luke 22, verse 3, as Steve talked about in, in his message to kick off this series, Satan had entered Judas. Judas was there. This is what Jesus was facing with the darkness. It wasn't simply this crowd of people coming to arrest him, but it was facing spiritual darkness, facing separation from his father, facing things that 
we will probably never fully experience. So as this scene plays out, again, it's very short, but what do we make of all this? We weren't there. There were a few things that, that I saw through this. The first is that trying to control circumstances by ourselves usually leads to pretty bad consequences. The disciples, when this started off, did the right thing. They asked Jesus what they should do. You know, Lord, should we fight back with our swords? Problem is, they never waited for an answer. Before Jesus could say anything, Peter grabbed the sword and he just started going at it. This was 12 men against a whole crowd. Verse 47 says that it's a crowd. So they're outnumbered and they were outarmed. They only had two swords. Going back to, to verse 38 um, in Luke 22, the disciples said, See, Lord, here are our two swords. And Jesus said, That's enough. The reason that they had the swords was probably for defensive purposes. They're out, you know, uh, going around, and there are thieves, there are robbers. They needed some way to protect themselves. Two swords with 12 men is probably enough just to be able to scare off some, some thieves. But two swords against a crowd of people, all of whom had swords and clubs and other weapons, not very good odds. And yet they still thought that they could fight their way out of it. They're trying to take control of the situation and do it their way. And again, Peter was the one who started this. He's the impetuous one. You know, he just wants to get out the, the man of action, let me do something. If they had followed through with this battle and really tried to fight their way out, this would have been a very bad scene for them. Most likely, every one of them would have been killed there on the spot. Unfortunately, we do the same thing that the disciples did. We try to take control. We try to do things on our own. A lot of times we even ask God what we should do in a certain circumstance, but we don't wait for an answer. We just go ahead and do it our, our own way, no matter what, because we think we know what's best. We try to, to come up with the plans. Sometimes we even come up with the plans and say, God, will you bless this? And we try to do it ourselves. That's something that Patty and I did when we left our former church. It's not an episode in my life that I'm very proud of because we didn't leave that church very well. There were a lot of things that had been building up as we were in leadership in that church. We were very active in the church. And over time, because of some things that, that had happened, we really felt that God was leading us to, to leave that church and, and find a, a new place to fellowship. It was a denominational church, and there were some things going on with the denomination that we didn't agree with, um, some things going on just behind the scenes within the church. Even though we knew that 
really that's where God was leading us, rather than trust God to say, okay, this is how it should be done, we just sort of gave up. We made a phone call to the pastor of the church and said, we're done, that's it, not coming back, and we just left. It was very difficult for us to heal through that circumstance. You know, we have gone back, we've apologized to the leadership of that church for, for the way that we left. We recognize that, that we didn't do it properly. If we had sought God's timing, God's plan in all of that, it would have been a much different exit for us, and it would have honored God a lot more. Because of the way that we did it, it really was selfish. Even though the outcome of that whole circumstance was, I believe what God wanted, he wanted us to, to be out of that church and, and finding someplace else, the way we did it just didn't please him. And I was just like Peter. I was the impetuous one. You know, I didn't grab a sword and start swinging, but, you know, I certainly wanted to, you know, shoot some arrows into some of the people in that church and that denomination and the way that they were doing things. You know, I wanted to, to hurt them because they were, you know, they were hurting and about to hurt me and my family. I wanted to do things on my terms. Jesus through this, even though the choice was there, he could have said, yes, let's fight. He could have called down a host of angels from heaven to fight on his behalf, would have wiped everyone out, and he could have gotten away. But Jesus' choice was to obey. Jesus' choice was to do what God the Father wanted him to do. The second thing that I saw through this, and, and this was not my own idea, I have to admit, um, I saw this from one of the, the commentators as I was doing some of my research, but grace should always be given. One of the, the men that was coming after Jesus was, you know, had some sort of weapon, was coming after, you know, uh, you know, charging, we don't know, but Peter grabbed the sword, cut off his ear. He was a servant of the high priest. Now, this was someone coming after Jesus. Jesus very easily could have just left him there to, to bleed. This wasn't a life-threatening injury. His ear was cut off. Probably wouldn't have even harmed his hearing overall. It just would have been, you know, some physical disfiguration. He's walking around the rest of his life without an ear. But Jesus still extended grace to him. You know, this is someone who's trying to arrest him, and Jesus still gives him grace. The more I thought about this, and then after Jeff's message last week, when Jeff focused on the stress and the anguish that Jesus was going through as he was, as he was in the garden, as he was praying, it just blew me away. Wow. Jesus was going through all of this stuff, facing the, the pain, the suffering, knowing what he was going to go through. He was facing all of that, 
And yet in the midst of it, he still said, I'm not going to leave you this way. I'm going to heal you. He touched the man's ear and healed him. If there was ever a time for Jesus to be selfish, this would have been it. But again, Jesus chose not to. He chose to extend grace. Again, I kind of shone the spotlight on myself with all of this. Because when I or the people that I care about face difficult times, when people are coming at us, you know, how do I react? I want to fight back. That's nature. That's our human sinful nature. But that's not necessarily what God wants. And I don't mean to say that we shouldn't stand up for ourselves when, uh, when we are wronged. But even there, we need to do it gracefully. And this is the big things and the little things. Patty was at the store yesterday. And uh, she was in a hurry because she had to get home because I had to get Ian to Little League practice. So she's, she's trying to get some things from the store. And as she's standing in line, the, uh, one of the clerks said, oh, why don't you go over and use the, the self-checkout? It'd be a whole lot quicker. The store was busy. It's a you know, Saturday, late Saturday morning, lots of people out. So, okay, that's fine. She goes over, scans everything in, and she's trying to write a check for it, and the clerk who needs to do the check doesn't know what they're doing. So in trying to figure all that out, ends up wiping out the entire transaction. So now everything needs to get scanned in all over again. This is a situation where it's very easy to get upset. How many of us have been there? You're standing in line, you're in a hurry, you're trying to get things done because you need to be someplace, whether it's in a store with a cashier, you know, whether it's dealing with people at work, dealing with people at school, wherever it is. You know, we face these, these situations where we need to remember to be gracious. It happens in some of the big things, too. When Ian was a baby, the first year of his life, he went to an awful lot of specialists. He had a condition called torticollis, which affected the way that his, the muscles in his neck developed. And so he was one of those kids that just sat there and was just kind of like this all the time. You know, had a very hard time moving his head around. So we went to doctors, physical therapists, lots of different people, and one, as a result of all of that, he ended up with a flat spot on the back of his head that was pretty significant. You know, it, it happens with most kids. Most kids outgrow it. It's not a big thing. But his was significant enough that the doctors wanted to get it checked out. So we went down to CHOP to see a a neurosurgeon. And the primary reason was to make sure that as his brain was developing inside of his head, that this flat spot wasn't going to to cause any difficulties with that. So we went down, we dealt with the neurosurgeon, and they gave us a prescription to get him a, a helmet to wear that would allow his, uh, that part of his head to fill out 
without having to, to do a lot of extra work. You, we didn't have to worry about keeping an eye on him, making sure that he wasn't laying on that spot, because that's their typical advice. For most kids, that's, that's what happens. If you just change them so that they're not laying on that spot, uh, everything tends to be okay. Well, they called for a follow-up just to see how everything was going, and I got pretty upset with them. I was talking with the nurse on the phone because the, the thing that she kept asking and trying to encourage was, well, just, you know, just reposition him. You know, yes, it'll take some work. Yes, you need to keep more of an eye on him, but if you just reposition him, you know, it, it'll be a whole lot easier. And I just wanted to scream through the phone, you don't understand. It hurts him when I do that. If it wasn't for this neck issue, the whole reason that we're there, we wouldn't have to worry about this. He's in pain when I do that. I don't want my child to be in pain. Now, thankfully, I didn't get quite that upset. But I was upset with this nurse. And it took me a little while to, to really understand she was just doing her job. But I did not handle the situation well. I didn't extend grace to, to this woman who was simply doing what she was supposed to be doing. I was focused too much on me, focused too much on my family and what was going on. And then I look at this story, Jesus facing a time that was far more difficult than I was facing. And yet he could be gracious. This person that was coming to arrest him, to attack him, he could heal. That's how I need to be. Lastly, we can overcome the darkness, these dark times in our lives, because we know how the story will end. When I was a boy, I loved and to some degree still do enjoy reading mysteries. I started with Encyclopedia Brown, and then I graduated onto the Hardy Boys. And as I was reading those stories, I was always trying to figure out you know, how the story was going to end. I knew that the good guys were going to win. You know, that was a given. You know, that, that's how these books were written. So I knew Encyclopedia Brown was going to figure it all out. It was just, what is the clue that I need to look for? I knew the Hardy Boys would always catch the bad guys. They would go to jail because that's what they did. It's just trying to figure out, okay, who's the bad guy in this? How are they going to catch him? What's the trap that they're going to set? You know, it... I knew that the, the ultimate outcome was going to be there. I just didn't know the details. When it comes to our difficult times, we can know for sure how the story ends. In our passage this morning, Jesus knew what was coming at him. He knew the pain and the suffering that he was going to face. He knew that the cross was there. He knew that he was going to be separated from his father. That was part of the plan. 
he knew that he would experience sin, not his own, but yours and mine. That those sins would be placed on him. He would be the sacrifice for us. But he also knew that the cross was not the end. In Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 31, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Jesus knew that the death on the cross was not the end of the story. He knew that there was more to come. In a few weeks, we're going to be in here and we're going to be celebrating that resurrection. We're going to be celebrating that Jesus' death was not the end. He overcame death so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. We are promised that in this book. We know that we can spend an eternity in heaven with our Lord. I love how God works out details. Because as I was putting this message together, one of the hymns that was going through my mind, and I almost requested that we sing it, was it is well and the worship team put it in anyway and I love how God works out those details the last verse says when the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend even so it is well with my soul he will come back He's promised us that he will come back again. He will lead us into heaven. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's the end of the story. 
if we put our trust and our faith in him, we will have a happy ending. All of the dark times that we face now are just temporary. When we look at eternity with him, being in his presence, the disease, the mourning, the tears are going to be a blink of an eye. What we face now is so short compared to what we have to look forward to. As Jesus was in the garden and this crowd was coming at him, he knew all of the difficulties that he was going to face over the the next hours, the next days, were going to be extremely short compared to eternity that he was going to be able to spend with his Father and with you and with me, for any who know him. He kept his eye on the big picture, not on the details of what he was going through in that moment. That's what we need to do when we're facing our dark dark times as well. When the power went out in our house during Sandy, what I really wanted my kids to do was come to me and to come to Patty and to trust us. I wanted them to believe when I said, everything's going to be okay. You're fine. There's nothing to worry about. Problem is, they were looking around. They were looking at the details of their circumstance, seeing things that should have been familiar, but were unfamiliar. They paid more attention to the darkness than to the places in the house that had light, where the candles were, where the flashlights were. And they were scared. Jesus overcame this darkness because he trusted that God the Father would see him through to the other side. He didn't focus on the details. He didn't focus on the crowd that was coming to arrest him. He didn't focus on the pain and the suffering that he would be forced to endure. He didn't even focus on the fact that Satan himself was in Judas, who was standing right in front of him. He focused on obeying his father through all of that and doing what needed to be done. If we trust God the Father, if we trust in his will for us during the difficulties that we face, we can also overcome. We will be obedient to what he wants, we'll be gracious through it all, and we will live with him forever. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you've called us to obedience. Father, I thank you for your promises that Jesus Christ will return again, that we can live with you forever. Father, I thank you that the times that we face here on this earth 
are temporary. Whether it's good times or bad times, Father, you will see us, see us through it all. And I just thank you that, that you are with us. I thank you that we can trust you, that we can trust in your will for us, that you want what is best. I pray that you would help us to seek that. Help us as we go out from here, that as we, we go through our normal lives, as we face these ups and downs, Father, that we would be seeking you to do what you would want through, through the good times and the bad. In Jesus' name, amen.